Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Jason Mitchell, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. Ian, it's, it's been a long, long while since we recorded an episode. It really has. It's been far too long. Obviously, I know a lot of people think about the summer, and especially for, you know, where you and me are in our lives, they think about that as being a big break. But unfortunately, this summer, it's been kind of anything but for both of us. Um, obviously, you were gone for over a month doing some field training, which, man, I'm, boy, am I glad that, that wasn't me. I, could, I don't know if I would have made it. <laughs> it probably had to pull out a defibrillator on me. But um, I'm definitely happy to have you back. Definitely just feels right to be sitting here talking to my boy and talking football, which, I mean, no matter what you want to say, I love basketball. Football is where it started for us. So I cannot wait to get into this episode. Yeah, popping into the NFC West offseason. Um, overall, this was a really good offseason, but it was a lot of intermingling. There was a lot of moving parts in this division. And for one of the for a division that was one of the best in quite possibly football last year, it's weird to see. Now, I, I think we've definitely seen a uh, a hierarchy there's been the stepping back of a team that we'll get into in a major, major way, but pretty much elsewhere around this division. I mean, there's three teams in here that know it, they have to go through one another. And I think they all believe they got better. Now we'll have to get to the season and see, but we're here to break it down and see how we feel about some of these moves that the NFC West made this off season. Yeah. There were some crazy moves and we're going to start from the bottom of the division going to the top. So Starting at the bottom, probably the craziest thing to happen in this division. Uh, starting with Seattle Seahawks, Russell Wilson being traded to the Denver Broncos for, I believe it was Drew Locke, Noah Fant, uh, Shelby Harris, and some picks. I believe that was the extent of the trade. I'm not sure what else uh, Seattle gave up to um, or if they gave anything else up with Russ, but – they did get they, – uh, they also got a top 10 pick, two top 40 picks. They got, you know, uh, two more picks additionally in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a haul, but it's, – It's interesting. Uh, they also released Bobby Wagner. So, the last member of the Legion of Boom is, fine, is officially out of Seattle. So, that era has officially come to an end. Uh Release Carlos Dunlap after one year, or no, two years of being there. Wasn't really productive this year. Uh, and they lose DJ Reed and Jamarco Jones. And they really didn't bring in all that much. Um, they bring in Artie Burns, uh, Quentin Jefferson, Austin Blythe. That's really like the big names. Uh, it, Yuchenna Nawusu, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Sounds right. Um, the edge rusher that came from San, uh, Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> really, the Seahawks didn't really do all that much. Um, it's, it's really going into rebuild for them. Yeah, and they're in the most awkward point of that rebuild where, you know, they just had to – cut ties with what was the face of their franchise, Russell Wilson. I mean, he was 
synonymous with the Seattle Seahawks for what feels like the for what what feels like almost my entire life at this point. Um, because outside of that, I mean, you weren't really thinking about the Seattle Seahawks. Um, but with saying goodbye to him, you know, everyone kind of figures that they're going to be saying goodbye to being competitive. I do think that this is still a team to watch. This is one of the few teams that is still being tied to uh, trade rumors that are actively going on right now. And Baker Mayfield is, you know, kind of that one guy out there in limbo. I think we'll get a better idea of how they actually feel. They've said all the right things thus far about, you know, the potential of starting either, you know, um, Drew Locke or, or Geno Smith. But I think when you get into camp and you start to see those guys, you know, Pete Carroll knows what a talented quarterback room looks like. He's been around it before. I think he's going to have kind of a kind of a good idea after just a couple of practices. So I do think there's they're a team to watch. But honestly, even with everything that they've done, or with the lack of things that they did after making the or after making the Russell Wilson trade it's not like this is just going to be a team especially in this division where if you bring a Baker Mayfield in he comes in and drastically improves your team's chances of winning um they also had a move that I, I couldn't really wrap my head around they signed Will Disley um after they just acquired uh Noah Fant now I know two tight end sets or something that a lot of teams want to do and things like that but Noah Fant really was, in my opinion, the headline of that entire trade. And so just to, to kind of do this, it, it, I thought it was a head scratcher um, because you obviously want to see them kind of unleash the guy that we all thought he was going to be when he was drafted to the Denver Broncos. All in all, every division usually has to have a loser. It's hard for all four teams to improve in one offseason because of the trajectories of teams and things like that. The Seahawks are you know, the obvious losers here. Um, like I said, that they lost the man that was synonymous with Seattle. They, they lost Bobby Wagner, who was also, as you mentioned, kind of that last member, really almost, he wasn't in the secondary, but I'd say in some capacity, maybe even the captain of that Legion of Boom defense, you know, really manning the middle. The middle of the field is as important as any when you're talking about the passing game. So he was definitely a valuable, valuable player and definitely a member of that Legion of Boom. So uh, they seem to be, you know, obviously taking a step back. They still have a couple of high contracts on their team from, you know, trying to make those pushes and trying to stay competitive uh, after the Legion of Boom fell apart and things like that. So they're in an awkward spot, but it, it's safe to say, as you mentioned, this will be the worst team in the division. Yeah, while their free agency definitely was on the lower end, I think they had a really good draft. Um, Charles Cross falling to nine for them was phenomenal. They finally have that blindside tackle that they haven't had in forever. Um, Dwayne Brown was the last guy I can really think of, but that was even on the later, the latter half of his career. Kenneth Walker in the second round is a little mind-boggling. Um, for some reason, Pete Carroll loves drafting running backs in the early rounds. I still don't understand it. I think they have four running backs in that backfield that deserve touches now. Um, Boy Mafe, the edge rusher out of Minnesota, to replace uh, the departure of Carlos Dunlap, Abraham, Lu Abraham Lucas out of Washington State to put on the other side of Charles Cross, uh, the cornerback Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati, who was lined up next to Sauce Gardner. And that secondary was very, very good. Um, yeah. So getting him in the fourth round is huge. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, as you mentioned, I mean, it, it's a great draft. I do think. I wonder how Russell Wilson feels 
after all of those years and all those times and, you know, wanting to invest in the offensive line to then watch the Seattle Seahawks do that as soon as they get him out of the door. I wonder how that felt for him. But either way, I, Charles Cross, I mean, he was in contention to be selected as early as pick five. So, I mean, to get him at nine in a draft where there was three obvious, really, obviously really talented um, uh, pass block or pass blockers to get one at nine, huge win. Um, as you mentioned, Boye Mafe, I'm not as big on him. I, I like to see production out of players. He was a little unproductive, but the measurables are off the charts. If you can unleash that and turn that into numbers, this has a ch- this pick has a chance to really, really outshine its expectations. And I'm a I'm a big fan, as you mentioned, and Kobe Bryant, and then another guy they took in round five, Tariq Woolen. Uh, I think those are they're totally opposite uh, kind of versions of one another or versions of the cornerback position. Kobe Bryant, this, you know, not the most insane athlete, but extremely technically sound. I think he finds uh, a paves a way to a, a seven, eight, nine, ten year NFL career as a really, really serviceable corner. And I think Tariq Woolen has, you know, the blend of athleticism that you think could possibly be the freakiest player in the NFL at the cornerback position. So, I mean, the tech, the technicals, you know, he's not there technically yet, but you hope that you can get this guy in your system and coach him up and turn him into the next diamond in the rough cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. All in all, I agree with you. This was a really good draft. I didn't even touch on Kenneth Walker, who no matter how you want to slice it, will be one of the most productive running backs out of this draft class. Really, really good, really strong legs. Just love everything about his game. Hits the hole hard. Got a little bit of shake through his game. has a little bit of power to his game. It's just a nice blend. And then Abraham Lucas, I always get scared about Washington State offensive linemen, especially after my, my Philadelphia Eagles took Andre Dillard. But, I mean, they do a great job of developing those guys. And, I mean, hey, if you, in round three, you're just hoping a guy can start games for you. And I think that Abraham Lucas is definitely capable of doing that in the NFL. Um, overall, I am, if it was just based off free agency, it'd be like a D. Um, but the draft really brings it up. I'm going to give him a B- minus overall. Um, that draft really saved them uh, for this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I really like that grade right there. I, I think I'm going to have to settle in, in a similar range. I, I'd say uh, free agency was probably a D. Now, granted, uh, it could have been I, – I don't know. I'll say C-. minus. Anytime you part ways with your face of the franchise, your quarterback, it, it's not a good offseason, obviously, but they weren't in a position to compete. They didn't compound, you know, getting rid of him with – uh, signing any unnecessary players to huge monster contracts or things that, you know, are going to mitigate how a, how they're able to rebuild in the future. So for ha- showing that restraint and drafting well, I- I'm in full agreement. I'll give them a B minus as well. That's a good grade. Now moving on to the top three that this is uh, the crazy top three of any division. Uh, we have the San Francisco 49ers who another team didn't really have an exciting offseason or a free agency. Um, they brought in Tredavious Ward or Shardavious Ward, uh, Oren Brooks, Raven McLeod, uh, George Udom, and Hassan Ridgeway. They did lose Raheem Mostert. Granted, he was injured. He is kind of that uh, breakaway speed guy they had in the backfield. Um, uh, they lost DJ Jones and Lakin Tomlinson and released uh, Contavious Street. Other than that, no really big losses. 
the biggest thing that they still have on their books is Jimmy G and whether they're going to start him or Trey Lance. Yeah, and I really do think of all the teams in the NFL, the 49ers are still one of these teams that are really in flux right now. I mean, you think about, obviously we've seen contract disputes and holdouts and things like that, but the the Debo Samuel thing is a big deal to me. Uh, I think, you know, they showed last year just how much they can lean on him. And now, do I think he's going to be, you know, transfer this year to a full-time running back and a wide receiver? No, I don't. I think he'll stay in a little bit of that hybrid role. If anything, they'll probably get those carries down. But they guarantee you they still utilize it. And he means a lot to that offense. And with Kyle Shanahan being the one to draw up these plays, I think he, better than anyone, realizes how valuable he is. Now, maybe he's one of those cocky, arrogant people who thinks, you know, I'll find another Debo Samuel. But – I can promise you, if you were trying to, you're going to be hard-pressed. I mean, there's just not a, a lot of guys that are built like that and can succeed and play as well in a position that he probably hasn't played. I guarantee you probably played running back, but probably hasn't since about high school or something like that. So, And there's that playmaking ability with the ball in his hands is just so few and far between. But also, as you mentioned, with the whole Garoppolo thing, I mean, he has a lot of money to just be sitting on your books. It seemed like they were in, you know, all systems go – to go ahead and make Trey Lance this, the guy after this year. But uh, no one wants to trade for an injured quarterback, especially one who's about to be owed the kind of money that Jimmy Garoppolo is, is going to be owed. And, I mean, they also cost themselves uh, $25.5 million that they were going to potentially be able to play around with in free agency, potentially be able to lock up Debo Samuel with. So that's really the big kicker, I, I think, for this San Francisco 49ers team. But – as you mentioned, I mean, overall, they didn't lose a whole lot. I, I think the biggest thing that they probably uh, lost was Lakin Tomlinson, DJ Jones. As you mentioned, Raheem Mostert is a big play guy, but he didn't really play last year, and they had the emergence of Elijah Mitchell. So, I mean, with all that going on, you always need good offensive line players, and you always need good defensive line players. And I, at least through free agency, I didn't feel like they addressed what they lost necessarily all that well. But then you see they kind of – attack that route through the draft, even though I'll let you touch on it first. I'm actually not too well depth with the, the 49ers draft picks. Like I know a little bit about Drake Jackson and uh, TDP and Danny Gray, but like getting to that fourth round with Spencer Burford and uh, Samuel Wilmack, those are the guys I'm not too keen on. Yeah. I mean, this was a team that, that wasn't really rolling in draft picks. And I mean, don't feel crazy, Jason, because I'll be honest. I mean, this was a team that consistently basically through their through their draft was selecting guys that weren't even really on my radar. I mean, I had, you know, known about them, but I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like I was. Over, I mean, it really took until the seventh round when they took Brock Purdy in between what was their first selection and Drake Jackson. That it was another guy that I immediately was like, oh, yeah, OK, but. I didn't love the draft for them. I, I really, really didn't. They had nine draft picks. Now, they didn't have a whole lot of draft capital up near the top of the draft, but still I felt like there was multiple different positions in the draft where they had potential players that could come in and help them immediately, and they didn't They, they didn't take a swing on it. And to me, that, that was disappointing, um, especially Danny Gray. I felt like this was a really, really deep draft class four wide receivers and I mean he had a really really talented uh 
showing at the, at the combine. I did research after they made the selection, but he just wasn't really productive at all in college. I mean, he had good, but I mean, it just, he had good numbers, but it just wasn't anything that really, you know, blew you away. I had him picked, pegged as a day three guy. And when I say day three, I meant rounds five to six, essentially. And to take a guy like that in the third round when there was other wide receivers on the board, like a John Mechie, when you put it in a perspective like that, I just don't think it made any real sense. I don't, I don't think they got any real any better next year through the draft. And that that'll hurt you. Yeah. Overall, I'm gonna give San Fran a C for this offseason. Wasn't the biggest fan of their free agency, and the draft is very iffy. Um, it's going to be a, a big, if they play well, it can go up, but not a lot of superstar potential from what I see. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, all in all, I, I'd give them a C minus. I just felt like they obviously had a really good season last year. They were obviously ready to kind of turn the tide, move to a, a quarterback on a rookie, on a rookie contract. And when you're doing that, I think one of the big things is that you're supposed to have all of this flexibility, specifically cap wise. Like I think about, we, we talked last time on our episode about what the Philadelphia Eagles were able to do. And, you know, they did all of that and they had so much money to spend because of Jalen Hurts being on a rookie contract, because they didn't have Carson Wentz still counting against that cap space. The 49ers are in a position where they have, a, they, they should be able to reap all these benefits, but they can't. Because they're 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 tied to thirty million dollars that's going to Jimmy Garoppolo, who, if everything goes according to your plan, will be sitting on the bench. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting, interesting year for the 49ers. Um, we'll see who is the initial starter at week one, though. Um, we'll probably find it out in the next month here. Absolutely. Um, but moving on to second place in the division, the Arizona Cardinals. Um. Wow, the Cardinals had an interesting year to say the least. But free agency, nothing going on besides re-signing some guys. Um, they bring back Zach Ertz, uh, James Connor, Colt McCoy to be a backup. Dennis Gardick, Mac Williams, Aaron Brewer, and Andy Lee, and they bring in Jeff Gladney. Um, but they lose. Well, they released Jordan Hicks and Jordan Phillips. They lose Chandler Jones to the Raiders, Christian Kirk to Jacksonville on a – I don't even want to talk about that contract. Um, and then Chase Edmonds to Miami. The biggest loss is Chandler Jones. That – they don't really have a pass rush game right now uh, with Chandler Jones going and who knows if J.J. Watt's going to play – or how much? <laughs> yeah, that that is big. Yeah, to me this is, and I remember saying it last year. I remembered, you know, they had a huge, really big offseason. They made a lot of signings last year, but I remembered saying, I mean, betting on all of these players that you can't even really in AJ Green, JJ Watt. Chandler, well, Chandler Jones was on the roster, but all those, all those acquisitions that they made that you could maybe hopefully count on for a year or two years of help from. And also with 
when you sign those guys, it's not cheap. And they did so much of it that now here they are a year later in no position to be competitive with their own re-signings and in no position to pursue any kind of difference-making free agent that they want. I mean, they were just kind of capped with because of what they had done priorly. I mean, I do think, you know, they did re-sign James Conner, which, you know, was definitely good. He definitely came on and gave that offense a different kind of change of pace. And he'll need to be able to be their their best running back this year without Chase Edmonds. But I just – it seemed complacent. And it also seemed like they really could not do too much. Now, I will say the biggest thing outside of all of this was the fact that they were able to go ahead and bring in a guy that Kyler Murray is very familiar with. They're, they're kind of buying into that whole uh, – you know, the college connection kind of thing, former teammates kind of thing. And they bring in Marquez, Marquise Brown, excuse me, Hollywood Brown. And I will say I like this pick a lot. I, I think this pickup could pay huge dividends. I've always really liked Hollywood Brown. Now, he had his bad moments in Baltimore, but he wasn't even really in a scheme to get the most out of what makes him the best kind of player. I, I think, in, you know, Baltimore's scheme is, is not about how many times they can air it out. The Cardinals, on the other hand, will be able to get a lot out of a guy like Hollywood Brown. And it seems that they're definitely kind of leaning into this offensive philosophy, especially when they go ahead with when they already acquired Zach Ertz last year again and make their first pick in the draft, Trey McBride, which was probably the best tight end in the draft. So I definitely think that there is something to like here with what they did. I liked both of the edge rushers they took in round three, and I think they got themselves a more than capable quality guy in Lasita Smith. Now, obviously, we're Virginia Tech fans over here, but I do think, and I thought from the beginning, Lasita Smith was going to be able to carve away into the NFL. And I thought the same thing about a guy like Wyatt Teller. And look at where he's at four years into his pro career. He's now one of the highest paid guards in the league and was graded as one of the best guards in the entire league. I don't know if Lasita Smith has a ceiling like that, but he's a serviceable guy and will give you I wouldn't be surprised if, like I said about another guy earlier, if we're looking seven years from now and he's, you know, cemented himself as a five-time starter for that team and he's making upwards of $10 million a year as one of the better guards in the league. I think it's perfectly, uh, you know, in play. They got some – and then, like I said, with the edge rushers they've got, I think they give themselves a chance to – it won't happen this year because, like I said, they didn't really have the draft capital either to go out and get any big-name guys making immediate impact year one. But between Cameron Thomas and my and my my Jay Sanders, I, I think they put themselves in a really, really good spot to, you know, hopefully bring them along. And, and I think this team is was strapped with money, but I, I would love to see where they are in a couple of years with the draft with this draft class. But it's another kind of thing where, you know, even your number one guy, Trey McBride, how much of a difference is he gonna make when you already have Zach Ertz? So it was a little bit awkward, but I think, you know, if, if they change the format of this offense, it could be even crazy. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be something to watch for. But I would say even though they weren't able to do anything, I think this might be one of those teams that really is going to have to buy into that offense. And what that means is keeping Kyler Murray as happy as possible and get him a contract on the table that he can sign. I know there's a lot of differing opinions about. Kyler Murray is a quarterback, but I can tell you one thing, this, this Cardinals team is going to be worth a whole lot less 
if he's not at the helm? Oh, for sure. Um, I'll, I'm iffy on the Trey McBride thing because, I mean, you do have Zach Ertz. Uh, you bring back Max Williams. And while Max Williams is not really a receiving threat, he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. And if you're going to be in a two-tight end set, you more than likely want a blocking tight end on the other side of a great catcher like Zach Ertz. Um, but, I mean, Trey McBride can definitely swing in there sometimes to run multiple routes with tight ends. Um, getting two edge rushers in the se- in the third round was big um, with who knows what the hell is going to happen with J.J. Watt if he ever plays football again. Um, Mr. Dad bod loading, apparently. Um, <laughs> and the departure of Chandler Jones to the Raiders, which – AFC West, you should be terrified of any pass rusher uh, coming towards your quarterback. Um, but yeah, uh, Keontae Green out of USC uh, to back up James Conner. I think that would be nice as a six round pick. Uh, you already talked on Lasita Smith. Uh, I'm not going to lie, no idea who any of these seventh round guys are. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know where Valdosta State is. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I couldn't tell you either. If I had to guess, I would say somewhere in Georgia. But who knows? I, I don't um, even know that for a fact, and I have no way of even knowing if my guess is anywhere close. Um, it, it was just kind of one of those ones where the, the draft – I mean, I oh, think they had some good picks, which every draft is littered with good picks, picks you're not so high on. But here in this one for a team that had some pretty obvious needs and was obviously kind of trying to replace a few things, I didn't feel like they used their the assets that they had as wisely as they could have. I mean, Trey McBride as your first pick, as you mentioned, was just awkward, no matter how you want to slice it. Yeah, it, that's the only thing that kind of turned me off from this draft. Um, overall, I'm going to give them the same thing as I gave the Niners. I'm going to give them a C. Um no flashy moves. I understand they can't really do anything with all that money they tied up last year, which was an inevitable downfall for this Cardinals team. But they get some key re-signings like Zach Ertz and James Conner, which was really big for them. Um, probably the biggest loss was, uh, of course, Chandler Jones and then probably Christian Kirk after that since uh, DeAndre Hopkins will be out for the first six games due to PEDs, which – who knows if that is real or not? I don't know. I still don't fully believe it. But the NFL is weird uh, when it comes to that stuff. You can say that again. <laughs> um, But, yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, draft was iffy, but some good re-signings. If they didn't bring back James Conner or Zach Ertz, that would have been the downfall of the offseason. And, and I'll, I'll chip in with my rating. I'll give them a C minus. I have to hold it against them a little bit because even last year, like I said, when we were doing the same thing last a year ago, I was not as optimistic as they obviously were on all the signings, especially the older players with all that money, tying that up with all those players. I just wasn't a big fan of it. And now they, they kind of had to reap what they, they had to reap what they sowed. For themselves. I mean, it was the position that they put themselves in and, you know, mismanage, mismanaging their money got them here. So uh, they only have themselves to blame. Um, but with that being said, I mean, they don't even hardly have have or want to give the money to Kyler Murray. So, I mean, this is all problems that they created for themselves. I'm only downgrading, you know, uh, 
to a C minus from your C, but still I, I do that just because, like I said, they put themselves in that position. Yeah. Um, now on to the last team, the Super Bowl champ, Los Angeles Rams. Another interesting offseason, um, starting with the departures. They released the the goat kicker of the league, Johnny Hecker. Uh, they trade Robert Woods for pennies on the dime. I believe it was just a – was it a fifth-round pick or – That's uh, Yeah, I want to say that's right. Um, Andrew Whitworth retires um, about time. That man looked like he was 70 years old with that beard and no hair. Uh, Vaughn Miller leaves to go to Buffalo. Austin Corbett goes to Carolina. Darius Williams, which was a huge loss. Um, probably their second biggest loss behind Vaughn Miller um, for people actually leaving. Uh, he goes to Jacksonville. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day goes to the other team in Los Angeles. And Ubana or Karankwu. I know I did not say that right at all, but he signs with Houston. Um, but Los Angeles brings in a huge guy to replace Robert Woods, and this is going to be a scary, scary duo. Uh, Allen Robinson paired up with Cooper Cup having Matt Stafford throw to them. That's scary. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, they definitely lost some pieces. Uh, and when you go down that list, I mean, it is a pretty star-studded, a list of players that they lose. I mean, obviously that is often the case when you want to talk about a Super Bowl champion, but Von Miller got the biggest contract, not outside of a quarterback this offseason. And Darius Williams was, as you mentioned, a huge part of that secondary. I mean, anytime you have a star studded cornerback uh, on one side that, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the guy on the other side of that man. And Darius Williams never ever seemed to let that get to him and it really really held his own now Robert Woods was in and out of that flux but with uh, OBJ you know still even as we record now unsigned you know you're kind of wondering uh, okay well I mean they don't want to get they're not bringing him back what's going on and you touch, then you get to the Allen Robinson thing and it makes perfect sense I cannot wait to see him in this offense is pair him with Matthew Stafford I can't wait to see what Sean McVay is going to be able to draw up with these guys at his disposal. Now, I really can't wait. Him and Cooper Cup should form a very, very formidable duo. Um, but outside of that, you know, they were in, uh, you know, I, I now kind of transitioned to the draft. And in my opinion, I think they were in a position where you couldn't have expected a whole lot out of them. But I'll be honest, I think they had as great of a draft as you could have possibly hoped for somebody who – did not have a pick until after pick 100. I mean, you know, they've been operating with this philosophy of a first-round draft pick. We don't need them. We don't need them. And I'll be honest, after looking at this draft, they might be on to something. I mean, between the two cornerbacks that they took they took a chance on and Darian Kendrick and Jacoby Durant, I liked both of them. I think Kendrick was kind of unfairly picked apart. I mean, he ran a horrible, horrible 40 time it was like four six I want to say four six six even I'm, I think might be right but you turn on the tape and he looks as fast as everyone around him on that Georgia defense I mean I think there is kind of something to be said about some guys playing faster in pads playing faster when it really matters now additionally they drafted somebody that I thought was kind of unfairly going under the radar 
as a running back in Kyron Williams. I mean, the dude was a dog at Notre Dame, really, really great runner. Not even that they really, you know, need running backs all that bad, but he definitely finds a way on this roster. Their first pick in the third round with 104 was Logan Bruss, offensive guard out of Wisconsin. And I mean, Bruss is not the typical Wisconsin guy, but anytime you're taking somebody out of the University of Wisconsin to come and play offensive line for you in the pros, you know you are getting an extremely strong, corn-fed, and technically sound guy on your offensive line. With when those things usually equate to the potential to start year one. So I really, really loved everything that they were able to do. I mean, like I said, their, their draft was definitely backloaded. But to be able to – it's kind of one of those opposite things where, you know, had the 49ers taken a couple of these guys, I'd have been all in favor. I think Jacoby Durant and Darian Kendrick could have came into their team and competed for a starting job year one as well. And the fact that they have to do it across from the likes of a guy like Jalen Ramsey will only – well, it'll make their life easier and harder at the same time. But in a way, I mean, it kind of gives you more opportunity to – to play the ball, to, to kind of feast a little bit. So I love the moves that they made. I think this could end up, you know, really kind of not totally, but retooling them in, in a really good way. I think they have multiple guys that can come in and start year one. And Logan Bruss really played tackle and guard. So, I mean, you get him in there. He's got that flexibility to move inside, move outside, start him wherever you may, may need him. That's another kind of huge thing that you just don't see – available in the third round a lot of the time especially someone as polished as he was oh yeah that definitely is crazy but the last free agency signing that i have to speak on is bobby wagner going cross division i forgot about this one honestly like i that blew my mind when i saw him sign with los angeles like one how do they have the money but the thought of Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, and Bobby Wagner being on the same team just blows my mind. Like, you have the lockdown corner, arguably the – Aaron Donald is in arguments for being the greatest defense player of all time. No one can tell me differently. He is in arguments. Oh, yeah. And then one of the greatest field general linebackers in Bobby Wagner. I don't think you can get any better than that. I, I don't want to play devil's advocate too hard here, but I do have to say Bobby Wagner is starting to creep into that territory where you can – the naked eye can see the decline, especially oh, yeah. having seen it so much on, you know, those great defenses. But the thing about him is he's still the smartest player on the field. He still is – he still would have a role on one team in the NFL just to get guys lined up, have everybody else in position. He doesn't have that same burst, the same speed, the same acceleration to, to you know, especially once things get out in space. But when you're talking about a short era, short area, talking about stopping the run, st you talk about, you know, manning a zone in the middle of the field, you know, with, you know, limited reach, you're not talking about sideline to sideline anymore with him, but, I mean, he's still of great value. And like you said, I mean, on this defense, it's going to be one of those things where Von Miller kind of came in and it was like, oh, man, you can kind of feast. I mean, we got so many people here that got to be blocked. They're going to forget about somebody somewhere. And I think Bobby Wagner will see a similar kind of a benefit. So, no, you shouldn't expect him to man that the middle of your field for the next three years. 
But when you're talking about trying to run it back and win another Super Bowl, you could do a lot worse than Bobby Wagner man in the middle. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, he is definitely not the player he was um, a few years ago, but he is still always towards the top and leading the league in tackles. And like you said, one of the smartest guys in the league. Absolutely. But um, overall for this uh, this Rams team, I'm I'm gonna give it a B. Um, I I think losing Von Miller and Darius Williams really hurts. Um, especially Darius Williams. Um, yeah, you're losing Von Miller, but I think Bobby Wagner kind of counteracts that a little bit. Um, but not really bringing in anyone for Darius Williams. Yeah, you got the draft with um, uh, Jacoby Durant and uh Darren Kendrick but Darius Williams was a super underrated cornerback and losing him I don't think either of those guys are going to really fit into a spot at for what he did day one oh no yeah you're not going to get Darius Williams product level production you know this upcoming season that that won't happen but I think they put themselves in a position to kind of be able to somewhat replace that anytime you get an offensive lineman in the draft that can you know service you potentially all over the field with the kind of flexibility that he has in the position you're doing great and then it, it is it is a bit crazy to say you know they lost Robert Woods Darius Williams Sebastian Joseph Day Von Miller and still me somehow feeling pretty good about what they were still able to do and Mind you, I think another part of their offseason is the re-signing of Matthew Stafford, which may be the biggest one of all. So, I mean, I just don't know. I think we kind of learned what this team is able to do. And if this is anywhere close to the replenishment that I maybe think that it could be, they're going to be right back in Super Bowl contention next year. Oh, I, I completely agree. So for that, uh, for me, with that, I'd give this an A. I'd give this an A. And it's going to sound weird. It, it may not feel right to some people. But like I said, coming off of a Super Bowl, the, I feel like a lot of times you just have to pray that your players – because, I mean, you go from, like, talking about a serviceable guard, he's now signing a $30 million deal with another team because he was on the guard for a Super Bowl winning team. So anytime you look at it like that, it, it you always kind of get scared about being picked apart and it was looking like that might be what was going to happen for a while. And then you replace Robert Woods with Allen Robinson. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you give yourself a couple of chances to be able to have a serviceable person slide into the spot that was occupied by Darius Williams, Sebastian Joseph day. He's the one that I'm a little iffy on. I, I would like to see them still kind of kick the tires on a guy like Indomitian Sue. I think there's other, you know, potential guys that are still out there right now that can come in and, and help you this year. And, and you know, because Aaron Donald will be double and or triple team if triple teamed if given the opportunity. And so you want to ensure that your most dominant player can still, even if that's happening, have an impact on the game. And I think you know they would be in a pretty good spot to to bring somebody in on the minimum that wants to come in and compete for a championship at the defensive tackle position, but. Either way, we've learned the way they use draft picks. If they don't, if they can't, don't get it on the uh, the minimum on a contract. 
they'll find it at some point during the season in the trade for somebody that's been shunned somewhere. They'll they'll take a chance on him for whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, it crazy to think how that's worked. Um, but but with that, that wraps up the NFC West and all they've done this off season. All in all, this I, I think, you know, some of the grades might not be indicative of how exactly we feel. I don't expect any of these teams to fall off a cliff. I mean, I, I really don't. Even though I gave teams like the Niners and the Cardinals not high grades, I'm not expecting this to be a season where they go from, you know, the kind of years that they had last year to being a six, seven win team. I mean, they will still be very, very competitive, but I am interested to see how that kind of hierarchy of this division begins to unfold. And I think really, it, you know, we can pinpoint the Rams there and Rams up around the top. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if another team came in and won it, but it's all going to ride on the shoulders of what Trey Lance either is going to be able to do when you're talking about the 49ers or how well the defense for Arizona is able to, you know, kind of mitigate things. That offense could be as good as, as good as it wants, but, if you can't just you can't just outscore every single team over the span of a 17 week season, you, you just cannot do that. And with that being the case, they're going to need their defense to step up and play well. And that's going to be the point for them that I'm going to be watching this season. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very interesting season for this NFC West. Um, not the best division in football, I think, anymore, um, just because of the Russell Wilson trading. Um but still top three easily. Oh, yeah. And it will be one of the one of the biggest dogfights in the NFC more than definitely. I think the other West team has taken the spot for the best team and best division in football officially oh. now. Oh, yeah. We can definitely agree on that one. <laughs> and we will get to them at a later date. But with that, I hope you all enjoyed our first episode back in, uh, in a little while. Uh, I know it was definitely weird for me talking sports uh, this long. Um, like I said, I hope you all enjoyed. I have, of course, been your host, Jason Mitchell, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see you all next time. <laughs>